This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome to The North in Numbers. I'll be your host, Annie Goak. Each series, we dedicate an episode to looking behind the scenes of data. Today, we'll be showcasing the work of the data journalism project SenseMaker. For the project, the Manchester Evening News partnered with the University of Central Lancashire to co-create data sensors for journalism and community engagement. One of these was a pollution sensor, which was deployed in schools and businesses across South Manchester. To find out more, I spoke to John Mills, Associate Professor at UConn and one of the academic partners on the SenseMaker project, and Louise Taylor, who was the assistant head teacher at Kringlebrook School at the time. John began by telling me a bit more about how the project got started. Uh, we were funded by uh, Google DNI, and the broad idea was, could we create data in, in new and novel ways? And there was a big question for me around, well, could we connect sensors to the web, which we can, but if we were to invite journalists, newsrooms, storytellers, but more importantly, communities, to start telling as well, what would be useful for them? What kind of data would potentially make a difference for them? And then we at the university and also our engineering uh, teams and our um, kind of computer scientists would try to make these sensor packs uh, to try to detect that data um, that then could turn into stories. Or it might be that communities tell their own stories with this information, with their own data. And we did um, lots of creative workshops uh, with journalists and storytellers. We had a few with members of the community and we came up with probably seven or eight different concepts about kind of how we could sense information and they were really broad actually and I know we're going to talk to Louise at Kringle Book about um, kind of the pollution and air quality sensor but we also did things like image recognition so could we sense what colors people were wearing so kind of what, what color is in this season in manchester on the high street or um after a um a man city man united derby who's wearing most shirts the day after who's most proud of their local team so we we, we try to make it fun as well as kind of um in depth so that 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 in essence was was the project really but because we were working with communities and newsrooms we, we wanted to we wanted stuff to happen on the back of this and and hopefully to to see things change change for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting for me as a data journalist who works with local data and is trying to tell those local stories with data that you're actually, um, you know, starting from the point of what's the information that people need or um, want uh, and creating that data rather than the starting point being the data and what can we do with this. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. And it seems like there's like quite a big focus on, you know, people and what what practical uses can they get out of data as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of um, my work and colleagues who work in the research group that, I, that I'm based in, the Media Innovation Studio, it's all about user-centered design or human-centered, people-centered work and um that's that's really what drives all of this it's how do we how do we work with people and how do we kind of respond to what they want in terms of problem solving but also think about um kind of opportunities as well it hasn't always got to be solving a problem it can be opening up new, new doors so yeah absolutely it was all about kind of 
working with people and finding out what they want and doing our best to respond to that. Um, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but one thing that we um, that we found um, that we didn't expect actually was that in every workshop that we did, there was the theme. And actually, um, people wanted to understand how happy or not they were. Could we create sensors around emotion and 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 how people were doing? And it it's that kind of human and emotional level that we that we revealed that if you take different kind of approaches, we might not have had that richness. Um, so yeah, uh, you've kind of already mentioned um, the work you did with Kringle Book School. Um, can you go into a bit more about what that specific project was about? So I'll, I'll give a bit of background, um, kind of from my perspective. Um, so. One of the ideas that that came out of the industry workshops and the community workshops was this kind of need to understand air quality and air pollution. Um, And it was a really dominant thing. But what we were able to do is rather than kind of just repeat what was happening, we were able to, with our engineers, create some bespoke sensors that could go inside, that could go outside, that measured a a number of different um, kind of air quality monitors. We deployed them in a few different locations near main roads. We deployed them in city centers. And I think um, Paul and uh, Louise had a conversation and the school was was thinking quite a lot about whether the commute into school and the the drop off and the pickup, whether that was having a a tangible impact upon air quality in that area. We thought it was quite interesting that there's an obvious need there um, and, and our data could maybe uh, tell a story. Actually, do you get um, NO2 spikes at drop-off and, and pick-up? Um, and it just seemed that it's one of those wonderful instances where we're developing these technologies and have this aspiration, and there's a, a community potential partner who's could be really interested in what we're doing and, and, and work together for just a few months, I think, just to see whether we could um, find some interesting data and, and tell some interesting stories. So essentially, you were measuring air pollution and and sharing that data with the school and everything. So, um, Louise, I'd really like to get from your perspective, like, how did you get involved in the first place? Tell us a bit more from from your side. So Kingsway Trust, um, of which Kringlebrook is is one of three schools, um, we uh, thread eco issues throughout the curriculum um, in terms of sustainability, looking towards the future, um, covering all different aspects. So um, we would um, have standalone eco activities as well as it linking through geography, through history, through English, through science. Um, And one of the activities that we've done was for each class to make a pledge to think of some behaviour that they could change that would make um, an impact. So, for example, it could be um, more sustainable paper recycling or looking at their water usage. Uh, there were there were various things, and each class made a pledge that they would try and work on for that term. And we um, shared that on our Facebook page. From there, Paul at MEN got in contact with me and said, "Oh, we, we've seen what you're doing on your your Facebook page," and. Um, and told us about the the sensor project and would we be interested. We also have um, at Kringlebrook an eco-council made up of pupils across the school who are particularly interested in leading on those projects. And one of the things that we've struggled to do over the years is the Walk to School initiative. Um, Manchester Citywide does Walk to School, and we find that the changes are little and temporary. Um, They don't really make an impact. 
I've certainly experienced what drop-off and pick-up times look like um, at the schools. So when we heard about the Centre Project, really excited because we thought, well, this could give us some real data. This could, you know, prove this is this is what your children are breathing in by by this. Um, so, yeah, the children got really excited about it. Um, I think one of the things they were expecting is some sort of robotic thing and the, the little black box didn't quite fulfil that in, in the office. But at the time, the centre available to, to us was a one for indoor only. So we placed it in the front office, which is approximately 20, 25 metres away from the school gates and the pavement. And despite the distance and despite it being housed indoors, the data showed us real spikes at around nine-ish and three when you'd get those uh, peak times for uh, dropping off the children and picking them up. So it, it did exactly what we wanted it to. And it was it was very successful in that way that even over a 48-hour period, I think we, we housed it for, um, we actually got the data to prove it. Amazing. Well, I think, um, yeah, what you're saying about like having that sort of like hard data as like, well, that's that, those are facts that you can't really argue with. Um, it kind of shows how useful something like the sensor project really is. Um, you said the kids were all really excited. I, I wanted to know about like um, what it was like taking part. So did you feel like involved in the project and were the kids involved in it as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, when the sensor was installed, they came to have a look at it. They shared the information with their class. They told their class what what that was doing. And then following that, we were um, Paul was able to send me some slides with the the data in a more sort of user friendly format, so you could clearly see the spikes and and understand what was going on. And I shared that in an assembly, and the children were immediately you know, sort of aware, like actually all those cars in such a small area, the concentration of it is making a difference to what they were breathing in. The real change, however, is is with the adults. Um, I, I mean, any parent will tell you that having your child in your ear every five seconds about something that they're passionate about is a really good way to, to change people's behaviour. But um, luckily, the, the parents uh, at Kringlebrook really invested and interested in changes such as that. So I formed a parent eco council and uh, we shared, I shared the data with them. Um, immediately their response was, was phenomenal. They were very measured in their response, understanding that there was lots of different factors why people were, were driving to school. Um, they were talking about the practical things that they could do, like offer a walking bus, various rotors, things like that, where parents who could do a drop off or a pick up, looking at maps of where the children lived. Um, so I had an, a phenomenal response and lots of wonderful things were happening. And this was all happening between sort of January, February of 2020. So I think you know where I'm going next. <laughs> Unfortunately, our work was was halted uh, by the lockdown in March. Um, but that's certainly uh, where we were up to with that, along with lots of other ideas for sustainability, not just about air pollution um, and something that, Hopefully we can start to revive as we, we you know, post-COVID, I hope. Um, but I mean, obviously you said you, you did get like a really great response. I mean, were people shocked by the data or was it sort of, you know, what I know it was what you were expecting, but how did the parents feel about it? 
I think there's a difference between saying, oh, I think I know that it will be and actually seeing it on that graph. And yeah, for a moment, there was a bit of a stunned silence for a couple of minutes as I presented that slide, followed uh, very positively by very much call to action, like, right, what are we going to do about it? What What's this going to look like for our community? And Kringlebrook is the smallest of our three schools and the majority of the vast majority of the children live in that little area. The parents are very connected. Um, so it was it was a perfect school to start something like that off because they were just so passionate about trying to make a difference. And hopefully we can reignite all that passion again. Fantastic. Um, well, John, from your point of view, did you consider the project a success? Were you happy with the results? I think in terms of the collaboration with Kringlebrook, there was, it's really interesting here, Louise, talk about the response that the parents had at that moment where she showed the slide, because when we had that data come into the core team, it was shared when we were all on a team call. And we had the stunned silence. Um, and we had the, oh my word, because it was it left you in no doubt and I, it, that was one memory from the project that will stay with me because it was it was basically for us demonstrating that there was real tangible uh uh impact from these drop off points and you couldn't you couldn't argue with that and it was one of those moments when you see the visualization of data and it just blows any doubt out of your mind like this is connected and this is linked in some respects my role and our role as researchers is to end a project with more questions than we started with to try to find new areas to explore and 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 kind of become narrower and narrower and more effective and more effective and i think one thing that we were able to take away from it was the idea of placing the opportunity for communities to work with these sensors to help us design them in some instances and then to try them for themselves and i think it it takes some of the data work that journalists does in a slightly different direction. Can you own this? Can you generate it in new and novel ways? And I, I think that was a really uh, important part of what we did. We kind of proved that, yeah, these things can work as part of a kind of a research stage um, and have impact in schools like Kringlebrook. I mean, that's that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, I know um, things have been a bit limited to do with coronavirus and everything. But yeah, have you got any plans for the future of what you're going to do with, with SenseMaker? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. COVID really, really put a halt to this uh, in many respects. And the project's now come to an end. But the nice thing is that those sensor packs that we created, even though they're prototypes and they're a bit ropey around the edges, if I'm being really honest, um, they're available um, to uh, the MEN and others who want to use them. So they can be tried and deployed again. So, for example, uh, if Louise wanted to do another session with those, absolutely, we, we can do that. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. There we go. Um, so absolutely, we can do that. And then I, I think in terms of where the research goes next, there's lots more work to do around sensing very broadly in kind of home environments and public environments at the moment um, to understand how people exist within a space what kind of data sets are useful for them uh, to change things, whether that's on a pollution agenda, a green sustainability agenda or, or other agendas. Um, so we're very much thinking about kind of future public and private spaces and how we can kind of create data to tell stories. Um, so we're really keen to continue the, the work and scale it a little bit as well uh, and try to do kind of more engagements and more trials and, and find out more things and hear more stories. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers, hosted by me, Annie Goke, and produced by Mark McGill. And thanks so much to John and Louise for taking the time to come on the show and talk about their work with Sensemaker. As we're now halfway through the series, we'll be taking a short break before the next episode. Join us again on the 18th of June, when we'll be exploring the growing problem of child poverty in the North. The North in Numbers is a laudable production.